Hello, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I'm here again with Mitch. How you doing, mate? Uh, I'm doing all right. Doesn't seem like we've been uh, apart for that long, man. I know. I mean, maybe it's because it's only been a week. <laughs> well, uh, don't don't give out your business on the podcast. You know, it, dude, it could be like a year from now. They're not going to know unless you say it. True, true. So if this comes out more than a week after the previous one, you now know I am lazy to all the listeners at home. He's not lazy, folks. He just got he's got many fingers and many different pies, and so yeah, true. his own. Yeah. Wait, what? What? Huh? I I didn't say anything. <laughs> um, so today we're actually talking about something that's really interesting, and I think we're two people who can have a lot to say about it. We're talking about uh, well, it's experience from our experience. Who should do TEFL? Who should come abroad in any country and teach English as a foreign language? Um, why should you do it and maybe why you shouldn't do it? What are the good things about it? Well, not the good things. We're going to answer those questions to get to the core question. Should you do TEFL? Um, to start, can you just, just very quickly, you know, as if you're in a job interview, tell me why I should listen to you. How much experience do you have? I've been teaching since 2016. Mm. And so my journey started in Peace Corps. Yeah. Where if anybody who's listening doesn't know Peace Corps, it is basically kind of like a diplomatic organization that's run through the Department of Defense of the United States. Mm. And what we do is we go into uh, developing nations and help them develop businesses, teach English in their schools. Uh, we teach about health and safety. Some countries have agricultural and uh, irrigation uh, task force that go in there as well. Some have a uh, medical uh, task force that help out in communities, which kind of aligns with health and youth development. When I did Peace Corps, I did the TEFL aspect of it. I was going into the schools and teaching English. And the community I was in was of 300 people. It was a very, very small rural community. So small that it was the only school for like three kilometers in each direction. Like this was the community or excuse me, this was the school. This was the school set up specifically for this community. So basically, I was in a school of 60 students. If I got a new kid, it was once a year. And it was usually because the kid had studied previously at the other schools around in the area, and they just decided to switch houses or they went to go live closer to their family. Because that's the thing about Costa Rica, family live... Family members live very, very, very close to each other within driving distance of less than 10, 15 minutes. Or sometimes they live in the same house, but everybody is always next to everyone. So I started teaching public school there in a small little two-room schoolhouse. And I can't say my experience in that school was great because I had a co-teacher who was Costa Rican and he just kind of liked to dominate the whole class. So I didn't actually get too much active teaching during that time. However, I kind of learned from him how not to teach, which was a big advantage if you think about it. He was basically wanting a class of clever kids. They don't get their assignment when they become teachers. And so if it's your first year of teaching like it was his, you're just sent to some random community that could be miles upon miles away from where you live. Now, they'll give you a housing allowance uh, to set yourself up in. However, he was wanting something in a city. 
he was wanting to teach more adult learners because if he didn't have someone he could have feedback with in English, then he was kind of lost as to what to do. So he became a very brick and mortar teacher where there were no games or activities in the class. You teach a grammar point, teach vocabulary, and that was it. You did your book work and then you did whatever the hell you wanted for half an hour, which it wasn't good. And this was a very disadvantaged community. It was the one community that I've ever been to in Costa Rica that did not have a football field. And when I say football, I mean like soccer, football. I've never been to another community in Costa Rica that does not have a football field. They used to, but then the farmer who had originally sold the land for the football field wanted it back. So it was a really weird community, very small. The public school system in that area was like, yeah, we have English classes, but there was not a lot of emphasis put in that area. So I really didn't get to teach too much or do my own thing. The guy who I taught with never really had a lesson plan. He just worked out the book. And he was kind of a sucky teacher. He really was. So that was my first two years. What good came out of it was what I said previously. I was able to learn how not to teach. And I also got my TEFL certification during that time because that was the first that was the first time they were offering TEFL cert- certification alongside your Peace Corps work. So my group was the first one to actually take advantage of it. So I did that for two years. Then I met my boyfriend on an online dating app and he convinced me to move out to Vietnam. And that's when I started working in Vietnam in the TEFL program, which is so utterly different than public school in Costa Rica. I'd even say like teaching in private institutions here compared to the public schools here in Vietnam, there are two different worlds. They cannot compare. The clientele that we're dealing with and the type of students we're dealing with I don't want to say it's completely class-based, but it's completely class-based. If you can afford to go to the company that I work for, your mom or dad must be a pilot on their own company. They're making six figures a year, at least, or both parents are making in total six figures in some sort of uh, way with it. So right now, I've been with the same company for going on four years in total. And I have definitely over my time learned about both the good and bad sides of TEFL. And there's definitely times where both sides are going to be living side by side next to each other and other times where the bad's going to encapsulate the good. Um, I think, you know, that's like spot on. Uh, and what you said at the end there. And the thing is about like TEFL in general straight off the bat is that you know, um, when you like, you compare yourself to like Costa Rica public school, Vietnam working at a private center, you're obviously with the economic differences, but in general, like, you know, every single experience is going to be different. Uh, you know, it's only really like, I think Vietnam private institutions where you, you know, we just come in, teach classes and go, they're all going to be quite similar because you're going to lead the classroom. So to a certain extent, you're the one who's going to dictate Obviously, the students you have are going to have a play a part in this, but you're going to generally in your life dictate how your classes go based on that. But then, you know, I, you know, public school in Korea for me was I was the leader in the classroom in most cases, but I had over that period like 15 to 20 co-teachers. Some of them were very different. 
uh, and you know, if they told me they wanted it done differently, I had to listen to what they were saying. If they said they wanted something done differently, it normally meant that rather they were going to lead the class or it was going to be like 20 minutes. They were going to lead the class, 20 minutes I'd lead the class, something like that. But either way, like, yeah, it offers a totally different experience. And for example, for some people going out to Costa Rica, I think would that would have been perfect for them. You know, two years, basically they spend two years just doing nothing mentally speaking. They're just going to walk into the classroom and do nothing and then leave. If you just want like an easy life, that is the way to go. Well, I, I think that's a common misconception though, because depending on what school you're put with, they're going to expect more or less out of you. For instance, I worked with a lady who was working at a magnet school. You know what a magnet school is, right? Magnet? Mm-hmm. No. Like a school for the gifted. Okay. So in the US, we say it's a magnet school hmm. because... I have no idea why they use the word magnet, but every time I hear magnet school, it's usually a school for the gifted. Okay. And so her job was completely different. She was more involved and she lived in a larger city and they expected more from her. Also, there were other teachers who were basically doing the role of administrators too, where they were scheduling field trips, having to rent out buses, having to schedule assemblies. They were doing a lot more hands-on things. I was out in the bush. I was, like I said, in a two-room schoolhouse. Not much was expected of me besides going in there teaching English. And some days we wouldn't even have class because the teachers would be on strike. So sometimes teachers would be on strike for two months. Well, what are you going to do with yourself? Well, you travel around the country, which is what you're talking about, which is, you know, the blessing in disguise type thing. Mm. But... For instance, if I was in a school in the capital, San Jose, what would be expected of me would be completely, utterly different than what is out in the countryside. 100%. I mean, again, like, and that, and what you're saying speaks to the heart of like, the question isn't, I think, should you do TEFL? I think if you're asking that question straight out of the gate, it's probably yes. But you have to understand that TEFL is an extremely diverse landscape of. Of, of working environments and you can't actually really guarantee that you're going to land yourself a safe environment in terms of an environment you're going to walk in and have a good time in but you can do things that will make it much more likely that you're going to find a job that you enjoy and have a good experience with um but you have to look more deeply to find those answers you know um for example that costa rica gig that you had um you know, it sounds like at very at times it had been very like hectic in terms of like maybe the organizational side of things and stuff like that. For some people, that would not be what they'd want to do, right? But then if you don't mind having that bit more of like, maybe there might be less for teaching resources, maybe there's less, I'm, I'm speaking with question marks on those answers about your situation specifically, but even in Korea that there were teaching resources, but nothing, I have a lot more teaching resources in Vietnam than I do in Korea. But if you don't mind having maybe less organization, things happen sometimes. You might turn up to work and it might be closed. School's closed, so everyone forgot to tell you. Stuff like that. It can be annoying at times. But if you're somebody who also can take the good with the bad and see like, oh, you know, but I also get to go on field trips with school if you get the right jobs. I get to like play football with my students, stuff like that. Public school might be great for you. But you have to like understand that there's a very clear difference and just thinking, I'm going to get a TEFL job and not understanding that there will be a difference depending on the jobs you get 
massive, huge, indescribable differences. I mean, to put to put to further add to what you were saying, I had again, I had fifteen to twenty co-teachers in Korea. One of them, I just stood there, and when she wrote a word on the board, I just said it, and that was it. And on my CV, those classes that I did with her looked the same as for the majority of the classes I did in Korea that were um, me leading the class and me developing as a teacher and me having an active role in the classroom, being the leader of the classroom, you know. But there are people who literally had her as a co-teacher for two years and left. And on their CV, it says the same thing as I mine does, but they're totally, totally, totally different. And, you know, that's the thing, like you have to understand that there's a level of predictive unpredictability, but also, you know, that you have to understand that like, depending which avenue you go down, you're going to hedge your bets in different ways. And I think that's the key. I mean, for me personally, like one thing I always say is uh, working and I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this. For me, the, the best TEFL job I've had is probably the US. Okay. Because, and probably the best job I've had is the US because it's, I walk into work and everybody's nice to me. I have the vast majority of teaching resources I'll ever need are already there. I don't need to buy them. I walk, I just walk into work, teach and I go. There's a computer, there's teaching materials, there's a projector. They give me markers. Literally, it's that and that, it's great. And there's a curriculum for me to follow and there's air conditioning. I, you know, it sounds, all these little things add up to a great thing, but. So none of my worst experiences in teaching have ever been at the US, but none of my best teaching experiences have never been at the US. None of them. Um, and what I find is, for me, if I want to go down other avenues of teaching, like public school, my worst experiences of teaching were in public school. My best experiences of teaching were in public school, you know. And it, I do find that, you know, there are some schools where you're going to get a wider variety of experiences, and it just depends what you want. If you want something safe, easy and uh, I guess reliable in terms of the experience you can generally expect when you go to a school you know a private center for me does seem to have that in Vietnam specifically but yeah if you you know if you want to try different things like go on field trips play football with your students like have clubs with them get to be honest probably find deeper connections with your students public school is probably a better way to go maybe not in Vietnam though but that's a different thing again because every country is different as well. It's not just public, private, right? Pick your country. But what did you think? Like, do you agree with my analysis of, um, say, comparing public school to this private institution in Vietnam? Again, two different countries. But what, did you have a similar experience in Costa Rica? Like, when I was teaching public school in Costa Rica, it wasn't the best experience for me because I never really got to teach. Mm. I was sitting there in the classroom twiddling my thumbs. I got to know some of the students. I taught them football, how to play a little bit of football, taught them some more advanced things. On the teaching side of it, I never got to really give a lesson. What about outside of the classroom? Outside of the classroom, I did have students that I tutored. Did you ever interact? Like, for example, for me, the pro, the one of the massive things I loved about public school in Korea is I was playing football where most, which every student I played, I had saw me play football or played football with me. Did you have anything kind of like? Yeah, for recess, I go out and play football with the students. Mm. It's kind of tough though. They're between eight and ten years old, and I'm a giant compared to them. So you really can't play football. We didn't have a pitch. 
like I said, mm. we had this muddy little patch of land in the back where it was mowed down so they could put some fence posts, some stakes at either end. And we'd have like the freaking mud bowl every time we went out there because the dirt was so ripped up, or excuse me, the grass was so ripped up that you couldn't get square footing on any grass. You couldn't grow any grass because it would get ripped up every time somebody went to go run on it. They had a basketball court at one point, but then the hoops got destroyed, which is really weird that they got a basketball hoop when that country doesn't really play basketball all that much. So outside of lessons, yeah, I got to interact and bond with my students a little bit. And of course, I lived, you know, a three-minute walk down the road from them. We all lived on the same street. There's one street that went through the whole community, and it was gravel. So yeah, I got to see them outside of school sometimes. However, the relationships I had made were more with the other volunteers that I worked with rather than the students because there's only so much you could do in that community. And the weird thing about that community, it was not close-knit. That's the only community I've ever been in that's not been a city that has not been close-knit. And you would think with 300 people, that'd be a very close-knit community. There was no cohesion. Everybody just kind of lived there. And if there was a community event, we had to go to a different community to participate in theirs. Besides maybe having one bingo session to raise money for the school, that was it. We really did not have any sort of community-wide togetherness. Well, that's the thing as well. Like, I mean, obviously that's the gamble. Like of of Tefl again, you you know if you if you end or like if you end up teaching in an area that's remote, you know you might get a community. It might be like not good at all in that sense. Obviously, you'd expect it to be a commute tight community. So that does sound very interesting. But even if that, when you think about connections, I get what you're saying about you know you tend to in the end be close to the people who are also just native English speakers because naturally like if you're working all day and you're you're speaking slowly and clearly when you go home you want to be able to speak normally again speak at a normal pace and I know a lot of people will want to do TEFL because they want to experience a different culture and there's definitely you can definitely go to another one of those schools and you'll get you'll get an insight into their culture and to their like community but then on the other hand if you do that you just end up kind of I guess you just kind of end up like if you don't learn the language, it's only so far you can go. That's the point I'm making, you know, and I never learned the language of Korean to the point where I could like go into a community and really meaningfully have a conversation with somebody. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. I did learn Spanish and I did learn it to a, C- a C1 level. Oh, oh, right. Okay. So I did have that opportunity to talk with other people in the community. The problem is it's a small community and either you're older or you're way younger. There weren't really many people my age outside of, I'd say at most 15 people between the ages of 18 and 30. Because most people from that community that were my age move elsewhere. Because there's literally no like employment in that community. There are no jobs. You have like one store, one bar, a handful of churches. Like even in a small community that you can walk in 10 minutes, has three churches with three different denominations. Outside of that, there was nothing in that community. So yeah, even though even though I knew Spanish really well, 
And at times I was able to communicate with the, the people in that community and have, you know, decent conversations with them in Spanish. There's a limited amount of topics to talk about, like extremely limited. Values are different. I was still, when I was still teaching there, there were families that would hold their kids back from going to school because they needed them to get the harvest from the farm. Can you imagine though, holding your kid back from going to school because they need help, your family needs help with the harvest. Like that's still mind boggling to me. I know you need manpower and you may just have a small farm. I can see that happening in the United States maybe 100 years ago, even 80 years ago, I could still see it. Costa Rica is a different world. And in that community, not much has probably changed since the last time I visited. Maybe the guy who owned the bar built up the bar a little bit more. I never went inside that bar. It was, I mean, you you could see it from the road. You walk inside and it's just a bar and chairs and that's it. And it's open maybe four days a week. But the only people that went to drink in that bar were old men. So if you weren't above the age of 50, you weren't going in that bar. You would be caught dead in that bar. So yeah, if I ever developed a good relationship with another Costa Rican, it was always outside my community. And my community was unique in that way. I don't want people to hear that Costa Rica is, doesn't have tight-knit communities. I just found the one that wasn't a city that wasn't tight-knit. But that's what TEFL is. You know, like, you know, you can be surrounded by people who have great experiences in any situation, but you will find people who have bad experiences. You might be in a country where everyone's having, you might be in an area where everyone's having bad experiences, you're having a great experience. The reality is you're going to be able to meet, if you have, if you have a fear about TEFL, like for example, like I'm going to be lonely. You will find somebody who's been lonely during TEFL. Doing TEFL is a gamble. It just is. Like you, you have to accept there's risk. Um, and there's risk in ways that you're probably not thinking about. Like, oh, I'm going to go to a new country. I've learned, let's say I've, you've learned Spanish. You're ready to get involved in the community. You get there and you're in the situation that you're in, you were in, right? There's other podcasts where we can talk about what you could do in that situation. It sounds like you then went, right, how do I overcome this obstacle of, okay, I'm not in the area I want to be in, but how can I still find meaningful connections? But the, the short answer is you go work for a different school system down the road. Right. I mean, you move job. I mean, that, yeah. that's the reality. But like, and even I forget that sometimes, but <laughs> that is a reality for sure. I mean, but yeah, I mean, Tefl is a gamble um, and no experience will be the same unless you go to certain places. But even then, everybody's going to have a different opinion. Every, you know, if you had never come to Vietnam, that would have been your experience of Tefl. I know you're a more open-minded person than to just assume that that is Tefl everywhere in the world. But to you, that's what Tefl will mean for the rest of your life. And you know where I would have gone if I wouldn't have gone to uh, Vietnam, right? Where? I'd have gone to Korea. There you go. And you would have and you would have got an experience in Korea, to be honest, where it would have been more hours, more strict, more... Um, there's pros too, I'm sorry. I'm just, but the work environment there is more like, you know, in some ways more professional. But they don't care what you wear for clothes. So you can wear, oh, you can go. nice. Yeah, I mean, that's actually something I miss a little bit at times. Like I would just go in in jeans and I used to go in with like, uh, like, you know, like just casual shirts. But then like, I remember one time I walked in in a hoodie and the other teachers were happy. I walked in in a hoodie and I said, why? And they said, because you're 25 and sometimes you look older because you wear a shirt. I want to, you, you're young, you should be young. And it's like, they did, but they were being very sweet about it. And the point I made, they just didn't care. Like it was like going what you want. Like generally, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't, just don't go in shorts. Foreign teachers? Or, um, or no, other, te teachers. other teachers would go in jeans too. It wasn't super strict. 
just wasn't super strict. But like there were other teachers in jeans. You wouldn't go in shorts. I wouldn't go in shorts. But like the thing is like you get to there in Korea, for example, and you don't go in with the same shoes you say Asia. So you don't go in with the same shoes you were wearing. You put on like slides or slippers and you just spend the day in them. And like, I loved that as well. I do miss that too, actually. It was so comfy. But yeah, like, you know, you go in jeans. I'd uh, I'd go in jeans and I'd wear like, you know, a hoodie or a shirt or a t-shirt. My choice. Fundamentally, my choice. Um, yeah, so here you'd think, oh, Teffel's a very shirt and tie sort of place. But again, that's just Vietnam. Vietnam is a more shirt and tie sort of place. Why? Because parents are worried that they're being taught by, their kid's being taught by a backpacker. So you wear a shirt and tie and the kid's parents think, oh, not a backpacker. See, I have an opinion on that too. I really think at the end of the day, 95% of the parents don't really give a shit mm. what the teacher is wearing. Because there's always this thing of, oh, parents complain if somebody doesn't wear a tie. I really think at this point, if it's a complaint, it's once every blue moon. And maybe it's just using it's, and it's a, So yeah, wearing a tie, wearing a nice shirt. Here's my problem with it. Depending on what company you go to, they're going to have a different dress code policy. When I used to work at Apollo, we could wear collared shirts like uh, polos. And that was completely fine if we wore one of those. We didn't have to wear a tie. We just had to wear a dress shirt. We could wear a tie if we wanted to, but it wasn't mandatory. Since I've come to ILA, a dress shirt, button-down dress shirt and a tie is mandatory if you're a guy. Which, you know, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but it's always super hard to be completely 100% comfortable in the clothes you're wearing. Just have to make sure that you don't tighten your tie that cuts off your oxygen. comes with practice, ladies. It comes with practice. There's also... A a paradoxical thing when they run summer camps too. They gave us t-shirts to wear in summer. So during summer class, we can wear this white t-shirt that says ILA summer. But for our regular lessons, we have to wear a shirt and tie. Yeah, they did the same thing with US. They had like a VUS polo. I could see. It's bullshit. I think the thing is this. We all know it's bullshit. And I think from these companies' perspectives, kind of give like the alternate view is what do most people complain? If they've got a problem with something, do they complain? The answer's no, they just don't renew. And the second thing I'd say is, if ILA wears shirt and tie, the US is going to do the same because they don't want to get the reputation of, well, at ILA, they're all wearing smarter clothes. And I just, I'm just, it seems a bit more professional. But the second that idea seeps into people's heads, that's just competition in my view. Like, you know, um, but I do know that the US, I'm 90% sure to my understanding, like, foreign male teachers have a stricter policy on clothing than Vietnamese teachers do, male teachers do. And that is because of backpackers, of the backpackers' reputation. Um, And it surprises me sometimes because I... I mean, look, (laughs) the idea that some foreign teachers are backpackers who've got to Vietnam and they've gone, I'll just stay here for a bit. You know, like, it just is what it is. Like, you know, it doesn't mean they're bad teachers either, you know, or anything like that. You know, but like putting a shirt and tie on somebody doesn't make them not a backpacker. It doesn't change them. It doesn't them. make them a good teacher if they wear a <laughs> no. tie. No, but this is the thing, you know, we're talking about image. And that's what, when you go to these private institutions, you are obviously moving towards an even more, Tefl is a lot about image just in general, but like in private sector, obviously the image of it all becomes at the core of it all. I think a big issue with this too is naturally girls have more of a selection of clothing they can wear. Guys, we are limited to shirt, pants, tie, 
at my center, they don't really care about shoes. So long as they're dark colored and they're not flashing lights, they, they couldn't give a rip. I don't think it's fair that ladies have more of an option. I'd really like to wear a collared shirt some days. I really would like to do that. There'd be days where I wouldn't want to wear a tie. But then you have to think, well, what else can a guy wear? Well, I mean, this is so this is a key. Is it fair? No. Do we get paid enough where I don't really give a shit? Yes. yes. So, you know, uh, the way I look at it is when I'm driving to work and I can get a coffee for 15,000 dong, I make enough without sounding like a dick for 30 of them an hour. So in Vietnam, we get paid enough where I don't need to be treated fairly. Like, because I actually get treated extremely fairly as in, I'm the winner in this situation. We, the foreign teachers are the winners. Like, foreign, a lot of foreign teachers here, not many, but some, you know, I think they get a bit of like a minor victim complex going. It's like, no, 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 big man. I promise we are the winners. Like, yes, the company makes money. That is the company's aim. It's never pretended otherwise. But if you think for a second that like you're getting paid because of the, of your work alone, you're wrong. You're getting paid because of your, again, status. You're a foreign person. That gives you status. And, and a lot of the times you get paid one of the darker sides in this industry. You get paid based on what your skin color is. For sure. You know, um, if somebody's a Viet Q, which means uh, somebody from whose family is from Vietnam originally, but they've moved abroad and then they were born outside of Vietnam, they're not Vietnamese, but they're of Vietnam heritage. I've heard stories about like, you know, rather they get certain types of classes or they don't get certain types of classes based on parents' reaction to them being taught by a Vietnamese American, for example. Like the parents rather love it or they hate it. And then based off that, they end up like being forced into doing certain things or not getting hours they want or only getting hours in certain areas. There isn't, it isn't a fair industry. But if you're somebody considering TEFL and you're a native English speaker, overall, you are the winner in the system, no matter what. Like, you might not get... I'm not saying that you're, like, getting treated fairly compared to other TEFL teachers. I'm not condoning that either. I think it's wrong. But either way, we're winners because we're getting paid extra money for more than the native teachers are in many countries. In many countries, we get paid more than the people from that country get paid. And significantly that, with less qualifications than they do as well. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really good point. I nitpick on dress code, but it would never be a hill that I would die on. It is one of the few things I can nitpick about working in this industry that is so small and inks it it it's so small and meaningless where it doesn't make a big difference in my day-to-day activities. Now this is the part where I'm gonna have to be very general because I still work for a private institution. And so from this point on, I'm going to be referring to companies in general and not mention specific countries. So listeners, I might be talking in very general words and things like this. However, I would keep this in the back of my mind if you're considering doing a TEFL job to make sure that you are aware of these things when you try and apply to a uh, private institution that's requiring TEFL certification. Uh, the point that you just brought up, Rich, about Vietnamese Americans coming over. I've seen at multiple different companies, it turn out many different ways. Sometimes they are treated very fairly. Other times, not so much. I've been at centers and different companies where they've had Vietnamese Americans trained up for level testing, but the front office doesn't want the Vietnamese American be the level tester because they believe 
they are not selling the customer a Vietnamese person. A lot of how they sell here is based on race across many, many different companies. It is based on race. And that's one of the more negative aspects of this industry where, hey, do you want to be taught by a native, white native speaker from an English-speaking country? Oh, yeah. But many people don't think that, well, there's more than two or three native English-speaking countries. For instance, everybody thinks, okay, maybe I'll get a teacher from Canada or America or England. Nobody thinks about South Africa. Philippines have English as an official language. India, many people from India also speak English. Many countries around the world who are not predominantly white or have a predominantly white culture also speak English. But what the front office and all these companies sells them is you're going to get a white foreign teacher from one of the first four countries you can name, which is not always the case. That's the more darker side of this industry. I mean, at the end of the day, like you meet a lot of people who are working as native English speakers and they're not native English speakers. But what do all those people have in common? They are white. If you are white and you're not from a native English speaking country, you can come to Vietnam. And if your English is not even close to native, you can be a native English speaker because the parents are going to look in the door and go, cool. And they're going to go, you know, and that's going to be it. I mean, is that right? No, that's really stupid. And that's why it's probably the thing I dislike most about the TEFL industry. You know, it is that like, it's all image. It really is 99% image, really. I mean, if the kids walk out of the class happy and the parents can see some kind of improvement over time, maybe everything's good. I mean, you know, I, I work at a preschool in the mornings and the, they always take pictures they, they make me do activities sometimes that I don't think are helping them really improve their English, but it's a damn good picture to send to the parents and to put on Facebook. I mean, a lot of it's revolved around that sort of stuff and it's difficult to accept, but that's the reality, but it is a reality. And if you don't live in the, if you're not living in that world, you're living in a, you're living a lie. And that's not meaning to say if you're of a different skin color than white, then you can't succeed here. Hmm. Don't, don't hear that. Uh, through what we're trying to say. That is completely false. I work with many other teachers from different nationalities and different cultures. I'm more or less speaking on how many different companies, like we've been talking about, portray how their teachers look. Racism abroad is treated a little differently than maybe what we'd be used to back home. Things we would find inherently racist at home are things they get away with here because there's no hard and fast rule. Like I've been charged more money specifically because I've been a foreigner in places. I've literally gone to a spa and it's clear as day said, if you're local Vietnamese, you pay this price, you pay less. If you're a foreigner, you have to pay 200,000 more, which is, you can't do that in America. If you did that in America, like you're going to be on the five o'clock news because that's discrimination. You can't discriminate uh, openly. Racism here is more open-ended and you will see it among many companies on how they market themselves to other people. For instance, I feel as though for the first time when uh, for this year alone, companies started advertising their summer courses and this is across many different companies throughout the city and country doing their advertising. I was starting to finally see a collective mindset of not using people of white skin color for the advertisement. And they're actually using Vietnamese kids. And 
Vietnamese kids who did have a darker skin color, which was amazing, which was great because there's, it shows there are pro, it's progress. Because before I've worked for many other companies where the kid is European for the advertisement, like a kid from a European country. And this was the first year I've seen with many, many, many companies where they were actually using Vietnamese children, even Vietnamese children with a darker skin color to advertise for their summer course, which I think is great. I think that's a major step in the right direction. However, when I look outside of certain companies and they have their posters outside on their building, it will always show a white teacher. I know with some I know with some companies now they are starting to use African American people and people from different countries like India, Philippines. They're making it now a little bit more multiracial because maybe the parents are starting to realize, hey, English is spoken in more than four countries around the world. English is a very diverse language coming, you know, in different cultural forms. And for the most part, I think parents are cool with the idea of being taught by someone from India, the Philippines. There's always going to be a handful of people who are not going to be cool with it. Yeah, I think I think having a native English speaker is still highly valued. And I think they want the parents want to believe that they're being taught by somebody who the kids the kids are being taught by somebody who has good English and how they choose to interpret how the parent if a parent doesn't speak English, they're going to try and deduce situations out of nothing. And unfortunately, it's always I think this is something that's going to continue for a long time. I don't I don't see this changing <laughs> in the near future at all. But yeah, I think like either way, you can there's still loads of people who of different races who do TEFL and they succeed. Oh, major it's success, just, yes. It's just when it comes to poster boy stuff, it is going to continue to be predominantly white people, I think, for the foreseeable future. And if you're not a native English speaker and you're thinking of getting into TEFL, if you are not white, I've I've never met somebody personally who's not been a native English speaker and not white and, uh, and not from the country in which they're teaching and have had success in that front. But I'm not saying they don't exist, but I've not met that person. But if you're like, if you're Russian, you can come here as a TEFL speaker, TEFL teacher. If you're Indian, uh, I've not met that teacher. I've known, I've worked with many Indians where their first language was not English. And, and they've come to Vietnam and taught English as a and, TEFL, and, as, a, as, a, as a native English speaker? Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, like... Like I said a couple minutes ago, don't let it discourage you if you're not a native English speaker. If you have mm-hmm. a C1 level of English, they will hire you. 100%. That's true. If you've got less, to be honest, they the, will hire you. <laughs> the, the minimum they require on an IELTS is a six, six and a half. And that's that's only coming into effect on people's renewals. So right now, there's still loads of teachers who are native, native English speakers, in quote marks, but like... I just know they're not going to pass the IELTS level because I've met them. I've spoke to them. They don't understand what I'm saying. Like I have to speak like I do to my teens class to them, you know, but they're going to come here and be fine. And for the, well, maybe not now, but I don't know, but you can definitely succeed. And there's a lot, this is a key. We're talking about Vietnam. Uh, in Korea, the rules are a lot more strict. You have to be from specific countries. If you're not from a specific country, you cannot qualify as a native English speaker. Um, and their list is literally like, the countries you mentioned, plus Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. Like, Which is completely not fair because there are many countries in Africa where their native language is. Yes, and they have... I was actually speaking to a Korean about this recently. 
the answer that she gave for why they're not accepting those countries was not because she it was difficult because it didn't feel like a convincing answer to me but she was trying to say that it's not because of racism it's because of um accent no because she said that she it was difficult i didn't really fully understand what she was saying to be honest but <laughs> it was kind of like oh we just understand like the countries we've got on the list right now we know them we know them well but like korea doesn't know the countries in africa that have it is a native English language very well. We don't know a lot about them. We'd have to do a lot more research. So we're not saying we wouldn't accept those countries in the future. But right now, we're not accepting those countries. So it's... It sounds to me like it's bullshit. It's racism. Yeah, right. Like it's it's clearly racism. I mean, like it's clearly racism. But, you know, yeah. It's one of those... It's not, it's not that... It, look, it exists... Again, there are very successful. I've met loads of people who earn way more than me, and they're not white. Like, there's a guy I know at work who earns two and a half, three thousand dollars an hour. Like, you know, he's not white. I mean, I've met people who are nine hundred k an hour. They're not white. You know, like so. Again, like nine hundred thousand an hour is twice what I'm on. So, you know, literally. So, it's like me too. Yeah, right. So, like, you know, there are people out there making mega money. Don't. Yeah, but anyway. And race relations in Asia is another topic for a different podcast. Hmm. Uh, it's not something I could fully speak on either, but I'd say just knowing history in Asia, just the very little that I know. At one point, every country was at war with each other. And so many Asians have animosity towards other Asians. Hmm. I'll leave it at that. Oh, for sure. And it's a lot more like recent too. And the like, if you compare, like from what I can see, if you compare like what happened in Europe where there were a lot of countries fighting afterwards, there was a rebuild. And after World War II, for example, there was a massive rebuild. You know, when Vietnam invade, invaded Cambodia, I don't think there's been a rebuild in Cambodia. I just think it's like it was over, Vietnam left, and then like America invaded Cambodia too. But I just mean when they left, like Cambodia probably had to rebuild themselves. You know, and that's going to lead to some animosity for sure, right? I don't know anything about this. I'm just making basic assumptions there. Right. But um Yeah. But when you, so what I would say though, when we think about as a whole, the question of should you do TEFL, my answer is, and I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this is, if you are thinking about doing it, the answer is most likely less you should. Yes, you should. I think you should try your best to be a good teacher, all these things. But the real question for you is, where am I going to go? And what sort of job am I going to get there? And it's important to do your research and to get an honest as best you can, realistic the idea of what it'll be like to live that. Like in Vietnam, if you come here and live here, you're probably going to do great because you can kind of tune your own work-to-life balance. And just the money takes you so far that even if you end up picking a job by accident that doesn't pay you well compared to other native English speakers, you're still going to be living great, you know. But if you go, a lot of people go to Korea, the other country I've lived in, and they go with like this massive fantasy. They've been watching K-dramas for three years. They get there. And it's not the same as what they were expecting at all. And they can have nightmare situations because they've not done the research properly. They've just gone there and YOLO'd it. And obviously YOLO is an important part aspect of all this, but you have to do your research or find somebody who does know what we're talking about. Like I used to be very much against travel agencies because I used one for Korea. I paid a lot of money for it. And then when I came to Vietnam, they offered to do Vietnam for me free. And they just sent me straight to the US. And VUS has been amazing. You know, like I, I got there at the perfect time. So my pay rate was higher. Like my hours were good. 
And like, I have to say, I think like just that agency just knew VUS was a good place to work. So that's the first place to set me up. Like, right, ideally he works at VUS. So let's set him up an interview at VUS. And like agencies, travel agents, if you get the right agency, they will, you have to not have to pay them money, but they will, if you want to be at safe, you could do that. I don't know of a total value, like spend over a thousand dollars. It doesn't seem like necessarily like a money well spent, but like if you just want that security, you can go down that road. But I know loads of people who don't do that. And really, you just have to do your research. And as long as you... So yeah, just think about carefully, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to live like? How? What are your priorities? Is it saving money? Is it the experience? Is it traveling? Is it just trying something new? Is it the weather? I don't know. But you have to think carefully about all these things, like, and just understand realistically what your life is going to be like there. And understand that it's not, there's going to be things you don't expect. There might be things that are better than you expect. There's going to be things that are worse than you expected. But as long as you go in understanding all those things and keep an open mind, you're going to have a great time. And if you don't, it's good to have a backup plan after like three months if things aren't working out. Know how you're going to get out of that situation. But yeah, for me, when I go and like live in other countries and travel, money does play a role because I want to be able to save money to travel more. But other people have different values. So but either way, like if you're thinking about TEFL, the question really is, where do I go? What sort of job am I going to get? But what do you think, Mitch? Okay, so you make a good point there. Location is a big aspect of moving abroad, but it's not the only aspect. When you move abroad, you might be thinking, man, it'd really be nice to live on the beach. I like going to the beach. I like being around the beach. I want to be somewhat close to the beach. Like, for instance, my company has a center in Vung Tau. I think they have two centers now. And Vung Tau is a beach city. It's right on the coast. You could go to the beach every single day if you wanted to. However, you also have to keep in mind, you will be next to the beach every single day. Will that get boring after two, two months? Will that get boring after three months? Will that get boring after a year? Are you that in love with the beach? that you're going to want to go every single day. And what if that beach town is not that big? Vung Tau is not a big city. For a foreigner, there are only a handful of activities to do. Luckily, it's a bit of a tourist town and things are always getting added. But are you always wanting to go to the touristy parts, the touristy bars that cater to foreigners? Ho Chi Minh City. I've lived here for four years. Actually, I've lived here for five years now. It's going to be five years coming... Uh, July 21st, I believe. I've lived here for five years now. This is a very livable city. There isn't much to do besides going to a cafe, seeing a movie that you want to see maybe once at most twice a year. If you meet some people that like playing football, you can go to the local pitch and pay like a buck to use their football field. Other than that, there's not much to do in the city. There are touristy parts of the city, but once you've seen all of the tourist attractions, once you get sick of going to all of the bars that they have set up for tourists, once you go all the way to Tao Dien and blow your money there, are you going to be comfortable living in this place? That is a big thing you need to keep in mind. Another thing I keep in mind if you're thinking about doing anything in the TEFL industry is if you move abroad, I feel like everyone should devote at least two years to TEFL. If you do one... I promise you, you will always be keeping that final day in your mind of when your contract ends. 
and you yourself may not fully get to progress as a teacher. If you do two years, even if you're just wanting to do this as a base thing for income, which a lot of people do when they move abroad, they just use this as an income source. Even if you have two years though, you give yourself some room to grow, even if you're doing the base minimum of work required. I would definitely not travel to go do TEFL in another country or any sort of ESL job if all you're wanting to do is travel around the country. And I say that because what you're wanting to get out of the job and what the company wants to get out of you is not going to be on the same level at any point. Because for you, you're wanting to go see different parts of that country, which is great. You should go explore. You should go travel. You should go see new cities and visit new places. However, if that's your sole purpose and you think your company is going to accommodate you going off every two weeks and exploring around, well, sorry to cut your dream short. That's not going to happen. Years ago, five years ago, that was still the case. And companies had kept that in the back of their mind that, okay, we can sign short-term three-month, six-month contracts with these people. But ever since COVID, they are really expecting people to commit for at least one full year. This actually, so what you're saying is correct as far as like, I think like companies here are quite savvy. Like they're going to, they're going to sell you on one thing and then they're going to get you here and like sit you down and try and get a different set of behaviors out of you. So like if you start traveling all the time, like for example, so uh, at my company, most people go part-time at the beginning and part-time means that in theory, they have unlimited holidays. They can just take as much vacation as they want because the company hasn't really invested much into you. They're not paying for health insurance or anything like that. So, so like they literally pay you for when you work. So, you know, but the, the problem is with that is it's great if, as long as like if you go on holiday and come back and then they keep giving you hours, like plenty of hours, like enough to then go travel again, it works out. If you come here and do that all the time, some people do really well out of it. I know somebody who went like to Japan for three weeks and they came back and I assume they got hours again, like, but you know, and they do that a lot. They travel a lot. And like they live that part-time life. And I think that it just depends on your situation. Like if you're like in a situation where, okay, I have money saved, but I would like to go to that country for a year, live in the country and travel, then you need to find a job. Again, like I was saying, of find the job that will accommodate your lifestyle where you can travel. And then they might not give you that many hours. Like when you are back, because they're going to think, well, um, I'm, I'm not going to give this person that many hours because they're not that committed to the company. I'm going to give it to somebody who's been committed to the company, but you'll earn enough to probably pay your rent and eat and like sleep. And then maybe do, it might contribute a bit towards your traveling, but you're going to be living on your savings for the traveling side of things because the company's only going to really give you what you're giving it. Still, that reality still exists. They're not, they're not like, they don't want you to go on holiday all the time. What they want you to do is to teach and make their money and then you earn money. So it, again, it's about finding the right gig. And but yeah, but I think what you're saying is important point. Like it's that dream that people have. You need to detach yourself from your dreams a little bit when you're making these real decisions. Chase your dreams, but understand what will this job want from me? They will want you to teach. They do not want you to go. In Vietnam, for example, you don't. So again, this is an important point. Another example of picking where you're going to live. In Vietnam, most jobs 
or like you get a week, couple of weekdays off. I get Wednesday and Friday off. So I can't even travel anywhere really on my normal schedule because I have Thursday evening to work. I have a lot of free time, but that is a reality. And you compare that to like Korea. I got, I had more time at work, but I did have weekends off. Korea is also a smaller country geographically. It was easier to travel. So every weekend I could travel. Every week I could travel. But, you know, there's pros and cons again. You have to choose what matters to you. You have to choose what you care about and pick the right gig. But if you're like, if you just blindly go in thinking, I'll figure it out when I get there, you're literally falling. You're literally like, they're probably in the tens of thousands, if not the hundreds of thousands of person to do that and regret not doing the research. Do your research. I promise it's worth it. Join expat groups in that country on Facebook. It's such a basic thing. There's a million people always asking on, for example, on the expats in Ho Chi Minh City, what is the average pay rate here? And you can just get a general idea. Those are intelligent people, really. They're going on the, the asking the people who live here, the other foreigners, and going, hey guys, like, what's the pay rate I should expect? Basic, but common sense. Yeah. To that point, expat community groups on Facebook can be a great resource. At the same time, though, you're getting an expat view of Vietnam. Mm. I'd even say go the extra mile and find a local Vietnamese person who speaks English to talk to, who may or may not work around the TEFL industry, or at least can tell you about places to go rent an apartment. A lot of these expat community groups do have realtors in them, but they're trying to sell either A, luxury apartments at astronomical prices, or B, they're trying to sell small, little dingy 40 square meter apartments for 15 million in a part of the city where you don't pay that price for that type of apartment. Well, what they're trying to do that, if the second I see a rent advertisement in dollars, like they've put in brackets, the amount is in dollars, I know that they're overcharging by miles because they're trying to like switch your brain from like Vietnamese money to US money. And then you go, oh, well, that's not too bad. Like, $900 for a two-bedroom flat with a sea view. It's not a ski view, a, sky, a high-up view. It's, an, it's it, you know, it's good. No, I mean, I'm sure there's better deals. And you're absolutely right with the apartment stuff. That's the thing that I've failed on. Like, really, I, I, I need to find where the Vietnamese people are going for apartments because I was speaking to someone the other day and it looks like they're a Vietnamese person and they're probably, I mean, I have a pool and I have a cleaner and I have laundry done for me, so it's a bit complicated but like i pay eight mil she's gonna be paying five and i thought well i clean my own flat most of the time anyway i use a pool not that much like i could save over 100 pounds a month here like you know but it's finding those deals because they're going to try and charge you extra so yeah it's finding multiple connections i completely agree with you i mean for the apartment you have here i feel it's reasonable because you're also getting the pool and the exercise yeah. room yeah i feel like that's a fear I, I feel like this is actually, to be fair, I do. I like it here. It's fair. Again, like I just give them a bag of dirty laundry whenever I want and the next day it's clean. And if you're wondering how much eight mil is, that's like- 300 pounds. Yeah, 400 bucks. Yeah. Something around it's, there. It's, it's a joke. We, the, this is the thing. In Vietnam, Vietnam's it, every country is different with TEFL because Japan is more expensive in England. They get paid less than we do over there in real terms um, as TEFL teachers. So they break even. Here, we do live like kings and queens. That's just a reality. Like, you know, and even if we don't, I've got a normal, I've just got a studio flat. Like it's small. 
I don't like living in, I don't want to live like a king per se, but even now I know how lucky I am. I'm a very lucky guy uh, to be living in such a nice place and to have all these, <laughs> I never thought I'd live in a building, live in a building with a pool. That's crazy. It's just crazy. Sometimes I have to like close my eyes and go, you live with a pool, you have a pool. Like when my friends visited from other countries, I said to them, bring your swimming gear, I have a pool. Like, it's crazy to say. When I say that out loud, it's like, wow, you know. Um, but that's because I picked Vietnam. You go to most TEFL countries, you're probably not going to get a pool. You know, you're just going to try and find somewhere near the sea if you want to swim. You know, like, <laughs> but yeah, I think it, pick your location. Speak to local people, like you said. Speak to other foreigners who live there. Get The more research you do, the more you're going to like understand the situation and get like a, a real grasp of it. And then you can go after something. Like there is going to be a job that's going to like offer you a under the rate market like payments. They're going to try and sell you that because they're just hoping you don't realize that you can find if you put in another couple of hours of research, you'd get a job that pays you more. And that's one of the good things that uh, those expat communities are good for. If you are asking about a TEFL job and salary, people are going to be honest. And if you're telling them what you're getting going to get paid. And if the rate's lower, they'll just tell you not to take the job and say, I demand to get paid at least the base minimum. Because that happened to me. Hmm. When I first came here, I was going to choose between Apollo and ILA. ILA was offering me 420. That is not even on the scale of scale one. And ILA uh, offered me 420. Apollo offered me 425, which is their primary first scale. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just go to the place that pays me higher. And so at Apollo, I did get paid more money initially. I did make the switch later to ILA a year later, and I've really enjoyed my choice. I love working for my company with all the faults that it has. I do think it is one of the better English companies there are. And the way that I get treated at my company is excellent. I think as a teacher, I myself, knowing the effort I put into it, and on the terms you're speaking of about being financially stable, I'm, I get paid so well here that I never have to worry about money ever. I can save for many different things, like hundreds of dollars per month. And I never have to worry about at the end of the month running out of money ever. That's one of the big benefits of living here. If you work here a while like I have, you will make some serious dough. You will live in a country that has a very low cost of living. It's gone up a little bit over the years, but compared to every other country it's around and how much you get paid by your company, Vietnam is the place to be. When I can go down the street and get a pork chop and some rice and a little bit of salad and maybe some pickled vegetables, when I can get that for about $4 and I'm making over 20 bucks an hour, and every night I'm making like 40 bucks an hour and I do that multiple times a week, that's a lot of money. That adds up. When my apartment is only about $600, $650, I have a lot of money left over where I can spend on whatever I want and do my own thing and save for whatever I want. The cool thing about living abroad in this country and working for one of these companies is you're never going to have to worry about money. The thing I would say to caution people who just want to come over here and just kind of not try and just try and rake in money 
The one thing I would say is, is it really worth fucking with a kid's future? That would be my serious point. I would ask anybody who's considering to come over and not willing to at least try. I'm not saying you're going to be a great teacher off the bat. Nobody is. Nobody is a great teacher and knows all the skills and all the techniques. I can't even call myself a great teacher. I'm good at what I do, but I would never champion myself as the most star-studded teacher. I know, I've known many teachers across many different companies who are just here for the money and they want to do it to fund whatever they want to do on the side. They want to go out and party, go to the club. That's You'll find that in every single company ever. And if I ever had a one-on-one sit down with some of these teachers, I would say to them, why is it that you have been given an opportunity to make a huge impact on a student and you've just dashed it aside on the rocks? That that value to me, where I get to have an impact on the students' lives, maybe that's just me, but I had students for three years. And just recently, I had two of them come up to me and ask me to help them fill out college applications because they didn't know how to do it. Or they had come to me and asked me, yeah, hey, I'm thinking about going to Canada, maybe Netherlands. Like, I don't know really what university is or how it's set up or how you pass beyond, you know, taking a test to get in. But the joy that I got from that, that I had these students for three different years, and I will plug ILA because I did make these connections at ILA, that I was able to have the same students at ILA for three years and grow a connection where they did feel like comfortable enough to contact me outside of school. I'm not even their teacher anymore. It's been a year since I taught them, but they're all going into their next step of life. And for them to like contact me and say, hey, I really need help with this. I really need help studying for this IELTS exam, or I need help picking what major I want to do for my university. That makes me feel whole as a person. Like I've actually done something that's made an impact. So question yourself if you want to come here and you don't want to make some impact on a student's life. It's okay if you come and teach and just give the minimum, but make sure at the end of the day that your students do learn something and they do have something they can take with them and share with somebody else. 100%. If you want to do TEFL, I think you should do it. You should just also simultaneously try your best to be a good teacher. And you, like you said, you don't have to get there on day one, but you have to keep trying. And that's, I think that's an important message to anybody who's considering it. Because there's a lot of good things about TEFL. I mean, we've spoken about them really. I mean, you know, but I, one thing I love about TEFL is now that I have the skills to feel comfortable in the classroom and be a good teacher, I can tell you that to so many places in the world and I know once I get used to that environment, get used to the textbook curriculum, whatever, like I'm ready to go. Like I'm ready to continue to to teach English as a foreign language. And I think like, yeah, obviously like the pros we've just mentioned about Vietnam, there's different pros in Korea. There's different pros in Costa Rica. There's different cons in Costa Rica, different cons in Korea, different cons in Vietnam. You have to just understand where you're going to go and then understand in yourself, are you ready to try your best? That's really it. Are you just going to try your best? And if you try your best... If you care about being better than average, you will be better than average in the end. But you don't have to worry about that. You just have to worry about being the best you are within yourself. And that's the main thing. But, you know, I think the thing is as well, one thing I do want to add is one thing I love about Vietnam, for example, is when I go to work, I'm surrounded by other foreign teachers. So I can have, what I mean is other people who can speak English more specifically. 
and everybody in my work can speak English. When I lived in Korea, there were schools I went to and no one spoke English, even the other teachers. And I was a very lonely guy, really, when I went to those schools. I felt isolated. Sometimes there was miscommunications and I felt disrespected even, even though it wasn't meant as a disrespect. It was just lack of language barrier, a language barrier. But you, I think that's another thing you have to ask yourself. Are you okay with working somewhere where the only person who speaks English? If you're going to do that, I would really recommend learning the language. But, you know... What are the pros that you have about uh, TEFL? I think as a whole, TEFL is highly adaptable. And like you said, as long as you can learn the curriculum in the textbook of the school that you're currently employed at, then nothing is going to stop you from employing everything else that you've learned. And after you've taught so many years, learning the curriculum in the textbook in another company is going to be so much easier. And any game or activity that you play with TEFL is universal. It's just not to one school or one school system. It can be applied in any situation. It can be applied in public school. It can be applied at multiple different English companies. Ultimately, what you learn as a TEFL teacher is how to be adaptable, how to be flexible, how to be able to change on the fly, and also be able to structure a lesson plan that allows you to not only make it fun for the kids, but also get across the grammar point or vocabulary you're teaching that day. I really enjoy working at ILA. And I'm not just saying that because maybe people are listening. I, I seriously, like, bottom of my heart, I do enjoy working at ILA. Everything is provided for me, like you said, at VUS. Resources, materials, markers. I'm treated very respectfully. I'm not looked down upon. Whenever there's a problem, I know I can go to my manager and talk about it. And he's not going to get mad or just tell me to suck it up. I know that he will help solve the problem with me. Or if not, he'll find someone that does know a solution. Or we could come to a common meeting point. I'd say a teacher in the TEFL industry is one of the most protected and most respected positions that you could ever get. I know we talked about being of different race before, but even still, the respect that I see given to all teachers who are employed in this field, no matter what race, creed, culture, or color they come from, it is all equal in that same respect of being a teacher, that you will get a very high level of respect. And in turn, you should deliver on the respect that they're giving you by giving a decent lesson. So I'll say it again. I really like working at ILA and I know you enjoy working at VUS. I think we did luck out and get two of the best companies to work for in Vietnam. So if you are thinking of joining, reach out to Richard and he'll be able to answer anything that you want about TEFL. If you want to talk to me, well, you're going to have to get my address from Richard. I'm not going to give it up here on Mike. But we've both worked in this industry for four or five years. We both know what is expected of people who come here. We have definitely seen people who have succeeded at it. And then we've seen people who have failed at it as well. And the people that failed at it, it just comes down to the same thing as what Rich had mentioned before. They don't know exactly what they're getting into. And that's it. Like, you know, we both loved working at the language centers we work at right now. Um, but I've seen people join VUS and leave relatively quickly. Not many. Most people love it. But, you know, they'll have different priorities, I guess, of what they want to get out of working at certain places. You know, so, I mean, again, I have no idea why. To be honest, I think it's a great job. <laughs> but, you know, like, again, everyone's got different priorities. So, you know, and that's it. Know yourself. Ask yourself if you want to be a good teacher. And then think about where you want to go, where you want to be, where you want to live. All these different things. And there will be something for you. But you have to do your research, look at many different countries, 
many different places. And understand, don't think, oh, well, I've researched about a pri- the private TEFL sector in one country. It's going to be the same in another country. They can be totally different working environments too. Um, but I agree with you about like in Vietnam, like if you have a problem, you just go and they will try and solve it for you. It is true what you're saying there completely. So, and yes, I reach out to me if you have any questions for sure. Um, I'm always here to help and to try and, and if you have any other uh, experiences of TEFL, I'd love to hear them too. And if not, I hope you enjoyed listening to, well, if you've listened to why asking about if you should do TEFL, but you've already done TEFL. You must be. I don't know, man. They could have just had it on while they're doing the dishes. I yeah, right. <laughs> True. It was next on the, the podcast roll. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys, and have a nice day. See you guys. Thanks for coming on, Mitch. Thank you. <laughs>